Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11. You know, uh, I have really enjoyed uh, going through chapter 11 and then uh, the first couple uh, sermons in chapter 12 last couple weeks. I, I just have really felt that it, it's been an encouraging thing to me. You know, just look at the faith of all these people. And then uh, chapter 12, talking about the endurance race that's the Christian life and, uh, you know, running, uh, laying aside the weights that, that slow us down and, and, and the sin that trips us up and looking to Jesus and just this great picture of, of an endurance race. Um, honestly, though, I, I need to tell you this so you're ready for it. Today's going to be a little more difficult passage, okay? Are you ready for that? Um, chapter 11, first of chapter 12, it's all kind of, you know, go, go. Uh, here we go. Cheer, cheer, rah, rah, that sort of thing. And uh, great stuff, just the faithfulness of God. Today is a great passage as well, but it's hard, okay? It's hard, and, but I really think it's one of those things that when you, when you turn the corner to really embrace it, man, I think it's life-transforming. All right, so um, let's read it. We'll pray, and then we'll get started. Verse 5. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. Father in heaven, we ask for your help today, God, in just this difficult passage dealing with pain, and struggle, and hardship, and sickness, and death, and just all all the hard things in life. And Father, I pray that we might see rightly your hand, your good, and gracious, and faithful hand, moving in all those things for our good. Father, help us. Help us. We ask for your spirit to be present with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, it does make sense as you move into chapter 12, if you've been following kind of the, the, the metaphor that he's been using, you know, chapter 11, we have all these, these great people, Abraham, Noah, Moses, uh, all, all these great saints who have lived by faith. They've trusted God, they heard the word of God, they believe the word of God, they act on the word of God, and then chapter 12 says, hey, all right, now it's your race, all right? You're running the same race they ran. It's a race of endurance, it's a long race, it's a hard race, it's a difficult race, so you need to look to them. You need to look at all these examples. Man, God was faithful to Abraham. He's going to be faithful to me. God was faithful to Moses. He's going to be faithful to me. And then you need to look to Jesus. The, he's he's the, the trailblazer. Okay? Notice his method of, of setting the joy of God's promises before us and, and then running toward those and trusting God. Just remember all that God's done for you and all that God will do for you as you run the race of endurance. And so it makes sense with this race analogy that he would move into a passage on discipline. Right? 
Because nobody wins any races unless they first discipline themselves, right? I mean, it comes with training, right? It comes with hardship. Nobody runs a marathon without having run a lot of hard races before they've gotten to the marathon. And so it makes sense that he would move into this, this passage on, on discipline, okay? Now, the big danger in, in, in discipline, the one that he wants us to avoid, notice verse 5, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord or be weary when reproved by him. The big danger is, is that you won't recognize God's discipline, okay? You'll forget what it's about. You'll forget that God works in this these ways to bring us to himself, to refine us, to do good things in us. The big danger is you'll forget that. You won't see that. You, you, you'll think God is against you instead of being for you. I uh, came downstairs yesterday and uh, my kids were watching Karate Kid, the first one, okay? And so if you ever watched the movie, anybody ever watched the movie Karate Kid, the first one? No, nobody in here has seen Karate Kid. That's great. You guys are all reading your Bibles and not watching TV, that's what I love about third service. Amen. All right, so I'm going to tell you the story a little bit. All right, so Karate Kid, uh, he moves with his mother from, like, New Jersey to, to California. And he, like, has the worst life ever because he gets beat up every other day. Pretty bad. I mean, he just gets whooped, you know. And, and, and having seen it now as an adult, I saw it when I was kind of younger and didn't pick this up. And having seen it, uh, just watched a little bit of it yesterday, he kind of deserves a lot of it, actually. I mean, he kind of brings it on himself to some degree, you know. But he just gets whooped, all right. He just gets beat, beat the tar out of him all the time. He's kind of living this miserable existence. He gets beat up so much he kind of just shrinks back and he's just kind of going to hold away and hide away and he's just mad and bitter and and then Mr. Miyagi becomes like a father figure in his life okay he doesn't he, we don't know anything about his dad but he didn't have one so Mr. Miyagi kind of becomes a father figure in his life and Mr. Miyagi makes these promises to him that he's going to help him to live well right he's going to he's going to bring him out of this phase of getting you know pummeled every other day he's going to help him to live well all right and so Mr. Miyagi says you come out you come out and I'll, I'll help you all right so he comes out and what does he get to do? He washes cars, you know? And he's like, wax on, wax off, you know? And he gets all done with that, and he's bone tired, you know? Mr. Mayor's all right, you know, paint a fence, you know? He's got to paint the fence, you know? And he does something else side to side. I think it's uh, paint the house, isn't it? You know, he got to paint the house. And, and there's kind of this pivotal moment in the movie where he's, he's coming back into the house, and, and he's like rubbing his shoulder, and he's just sore, and he's tired. And he's just, just, just fatigued from all this, this weariness that Mr. Miyagi's been putting him under about painting and washing. And he's beginning to distrust this guy. He's beginning to think, you know what? You, you're not helping me. You're just putting more work on me. You're just making me do all this slave stuff. You're just, you're just beating me up more. These guys beat me up, and now I come out here, and you're just working me like a dog. You're just beating me up. And, and he kind of has this accusation about you don't really care about me. You know, Mr. Miyagi gets up. You know, remember this part of the story? You know, ha, 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 ha. You know, Daniel's, wax on, wax off, paint the fence. You know, he does all that. I don't know karate. I didn't claim to know. I don't, I, you don't, y'all act like I should look like I know. I don't, I'm just telling you what happened in the movie. Because you didn't see it, all right? So, you know, he does all this karate stuff, and, and he realizes that all the while, Mr. Miyagi has been training him for something good. But he didn't realize it. All right, the writer of Hebrews is afraid. He's afraid that you won't realize what God is doing in the painful things in your life. That you'll forget. You'll forget that. you forget the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Here's the reality, folks. Every born-again believer comes under God's discipline, okay? Now, now don't, don't look at that as a bad thing. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. In fact, I believe it is the mark of salvation. 
The mark of salvation is that God won't let his children stay in sin. Man, he won't let you. He's, he's going to put conviction in there. He's going to put hard times in there. He's going to put painful things in your life because you're his, okay? And, and so you're a son. And so don't forget that, that every son is disciplined by his father. And the danger is you'll forget what God does through discipline. The danger is, second danger is, is that you'll regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Notice that in verse 5. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. In other words, what does that mean? That means don't think lightly of God's discipline. Don't, don't neglect it. Don't, 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 don't forget about what God does through it. You see, there's several dangers here. One of the dangers is that we simply won't recognize that God works through painful things. You know, maybe you're just living your life and, and these painful things are happening and, and you're just like, well, it's just life. You know, life just stinks. You ever, you ever get that attitude? You ever you know anybody that? You know, life just stinks, you know? Man, it just stinks for me. It just, and my, my job's bad, and my, my, my health's bad, and my family's bad, and you know, life just stinks, you know? And you just kind of have this fatalistic view. And, and then even worse, there's some theologies that almost promote that by telling you that God has nothing to do with painful things. Okay? Listen, those are not biblical theologies, all right? If you're listening to a preacher, and that preacher, you know, his, his view of, 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 of life is that all, anything comfortable, good, pleasant, you know, that's of God. All the bad stuff, no, 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 not of God. Now, now, I totally agree that God is not evil. God is not evil. God does not tempt people with evil. God does not do evil things. Does God use evil things for good? Yes, he does. Okay, yes, he does. God comes in, and there are times where he even, even puts difficult things in our life in order to do us good, okay? So number one, don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Number two, look at verse five, don't grow weary when reproved by him, okay? The second danger is, is that you'll get weary, all right? Remember, remember from last week, we know what weary is. Weary's not tired. It's good to be tired for the Lord. It's good to go hard in your life, but it's not good to want to quit, Okay? It's not good to, when hard times come, painful things come, discipline comes in your life, you just want to throw in the towel. I, I, you know, I'm just quitting. It's just not worth it. I'm not seeking God anymore. You know, I tried that. Man, I hear that all the time. I hear that from people that, well, I, try, I tried Jesus. I tried faith. But you know what? My life got hard and tough things came. And so I, I just, I, I'm just out. I'm out on it. Not understanding what the Bible says, that God loves those he disciplines. What form does discipline take, by the way? Man, are you not infinitely creative in the way you discipline your kids? Huh? Do you just do it one way? One way for all, you know? Do you discipline your kids the same way when they're, when they're three months? Or not, probably, you probably discipline them all in three months. Three years old the, when they're 13, you know, or 18? Hopefully, you probably don't, right? You, you're probably very creative. In fact, I try to think of new ways all the time, you know, to discipline my kids. Uh, I discipline my, my two little girls a couple weeks ago in ways that I'd never discipline any of my other kids. I, I just kind of, you know, trying to be creative, trying to do them good, right? God is the same way. And, and, and so how does God discipline us? Variety of ways. Conviction. There's one throughout the scriptures that the Holy Spirit is inside of a believer. And when you sin, God's heavy hand is going to be upon you. Listen to David. Psalm 32, when I kept silent about, about my sin, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Verse four, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as, as the fever heat of summer. Yeah, you ever feel that? You ever feel that in your life? You know, you sin against God, you, 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 you're holding a grudge, you, you've, you've lied, you've whatever, and man, God's hands, let me tell you folks, that is a wonderful thing. Rejoice if you feel that. 
Because if you feel that, that means you're His, okay? That is a mark of your salvation. He will not let you stay in sin. He won't let you live there, okay? So, so conviction, reproof, natural disasters. We see that even in the Old Testament. Famines and, and earthquakes and floods. Sickness, Paul, Paul experienced that. I, I think that's what his thorn in the flesh was. Frustrations, hardship, lack, the consequences of our own sin. Romans 8.28 kind of summarizes all these things, I believe. In Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things, two words there, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Man, God, for his sons, he is using all things, everything in our life, every painful, pleasant, difficult struggle, all those things, God is at work in those to make us into the people that he's purchased us to be. Friends, I can't imagine a world where that's not true. I I don't want to live in a world where God is not sovereign over all things. You know, I don't want to live in a world where God looks over at China and then he looks back to America and he's like, Jason, I didn't know that was coming for you. Wow, sorry, you know. I looked away, I looked back and you're on the ground, you know. I didn't see that coming. Sorry, buddy. You know, I missed that one. Man, I don't want to live in that world. I'm glad that my father is in, in charge, that he's sovereign, that, that I can trust that in all things he's working together for my good. So it's essential that we see God's discipline rightly. Now, what does it mean to see God's discipline rightly? What, what, is, what is our application today? Well, we need to embrace a couple things here. First of all, we need to embrace it. In God's discipline, God is saying a couple things. Verse 6, he's saying, I love you. Verse 7, he's saying, you're my child. Verse 10, he's saying, I want to do you good. I want you to share in my holiness. And verse 11, he's saying, my discipline will yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness in you. Now, let's take those one at a time. First of all, God's discipline means he loves us, not he hates us. Okay? He loves us. Now, parents, we ought, we ought to know this. You see, it's funny how sometimes we live a certain way, but then when we turn to God, we expect him to live a different way. We expect that, that not to apply, okay? We all, we all understand that we love our kids. That's why we discipline them, right? They're, they're ours. Bonnie and I were at a wedding in, in uh, Weatherford yesterday, Nathan and Kelly's wedding. It was a great wedding, and, and they hopefully will be coming back and maybe... maybe being a part of our church, but we were there, and, and I didn't have any of my kids there, and so it's kind of, I'm way, way before the service started, and there's a bunch of little kids, and man, some of them were, you know, weddings, man, weddings are hard on kids, you know, because they got to sit for pictures, they're dressed up, they can't get in the dirt, you know, all that stuff, and, and, and then, and then, you know, people are telling them, sit down, sit down, you know, there's one kid, and his mom, I'm, his mom was just chasing him around, trying to, you know, I'm just enjoying the show, you know, I'm just enjoying the show, you know, because they're not my kids, right, they're not mine, you know, but when it's our kids, we know, man, I love them. Proverbs 13, 24. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who disciplines him is diligent, or he, he who loves him, I'm sorry, is diligent to discipline him. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 18. Discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. Proverbs 23. Verse 13 and 14. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. Folks, we already know that, don't we? We know that. When we see selfishness in our kids, when we see laziness in our kids, when we see a lack of responsibility in our kids, when we see lying or distrust, or you know, you know what we do? We say, man, 
I don't want that to be there. I'm going to act. I'm going to love you. I'm going to love you and act so that, so that I can bring you out of that. Now, if we're that way, why wouldn't we not expect our Father, who is a perfect Father, to be the same way? He loves us, therefore, He's going to discipline us. And we need to see the good purpose in God's discipline. And, and honestly, guys, many times that's going to have to be an act of faith on your part. You understand? It's really, it's really interesting to me that chapter 12 comes right after this entire chapter on faith in, in chapter 11. Of these people who believed God, who trusted his word in all kinds of circumstances. And now you're going to have to trust God. When you're in the painful times of your life, in, in the difficult times of your life, you're going to have to trust that God is good and he's doing good things, then there are going to be times where, where the only thing you've got is just trusting the character and the Word of God that He will not fail you. I really believe that, that there are times where we cannot fathom in the wildest stretches of our imagination how or why God is working as He is. Anybody ever been there? I mean, you just, you, you just look at your life and you look at what happened and you look at the and you're just like, I can't imagine. God, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what you're doing. I, I can't imagine how you're working through this. And God, I can't imagine why, why is it this way. And, and, and listen, listen, this is the, the, the bad part is there's just times where I, I don't know. We have to accept that. I, I don't know. I don't know. But I'm holding on that God is going to work good. I'm holding on that I can trust him. I'm holding on to the character of God. That's all I have. Because I can't see anything in the circumstance. I was trying to think of an illustration that would help you with that. The only one I can think of is, is just of a child and his parent. I mean, that, that makes sense to me. You know, I want you to imagine a kid, maybe nine months old, just starting to toddle around, uh, maybe a year and a half, two years old. You, you guys have, you've seen this, you've seen this played out a hundred times, I bet you anything. Kids at like the ball diamond, soccer field, skating rink, some kind of public place. And mom's talking, the kid's kind of toddling around, and the kid sees something on the ground, in the corner, in the grass, in the dirt, under the bleachers, you know. And it's the greatest thing they've ever seen in their life. I mean, for real. You can just tell in the way their face lightens up that they, they see that, you know, half-eaten lifesaver, that, that sucker that that brown stuff is stuck all over to. And they see it, and in their great joy and rejoicing, they're like, they bend down and they grab it. Then they have it. And part of the wonder of it is they got it themselves. Nobody gave it to them. You know, they're stepping into their independence. Mom didn't have to do this for them. They've got this incredible treasure. And they look at it with this wonder that I've got this thing. And it's so awesome. It's so wonderful. And, and, and they, they're like, it's so good. I just want to eat it. I want to have it, you know. And they begin to put it in their mouth. And here comes this woman. This woman who, who supposedly loves them who's been good to them, nurtured Usually this woman sings joyfully to them and, and speaks and kisses their face. And now this woman grabs her arm with great force and pries the treasure out of their hand and yells at them. And you can tell, you know what happens to the kid? At first they're just like shocked, you know? It's like, ah, you know what I mean? They're just, what happened? You know, it's just pried out of their hand. And at first it's shock, you know? And then it's sadness that the mother has taken their treasure. And then what? It's anger then, right? Then the mother comes in and she's like, good work, you know. I mean, it's like, why would you do this to me? And, and here's, here's the thing. They don't know why. They don't know why an hour later. They don't know why the next day. 
They still, they're still looking for that thing in the grass, you know. I mean, they're looking again. They don't know why the next week. They have no idea. This mother that usually loves them and cares for them and gives them good things, Cheerios on their high chair, they cannot fathom. Why is she so cruel? It's not till a long time later. For boys, sometimes, you know, it's, years, it's decades, you know. Long time later, they realize, oh, you know, some dirty mouse already sucked on that and the cat pooped on it and I shouldn't be putting it in my mouth, you know? Ha ha, you know? And the only thing I, the only thing I can think of, guys, is it's kind of like that, right? That right now, I don't know. I don't know why God took that. I don't know why God's put that in my life. I don't know why I gotta carry this. I don't, I don't know why it's so hard. I don't know why I've got these struggles. I, I, I don't know why, but... But here's, here's what God's asking us to do. Trust me. Would you just hold on to me? Trust me. I won't let you down. Friends, God's discipline is a mark that we are his son, his child. Look at verse 7. For discipline that you have to endure, God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Man, Are you not blown away, church, come on, are you not blown away that God would bring me, that if you're a believer here today, if you've heard the gospel, if you've heard what Jesus did, if you've heard about Christ and his atoning death on the cross, and you've put your faith in him, and you said, God, I'm yours, I'm following you, I trust you, my life belongs to you. If If that is you, you're a child of the king. I mean, that's amazing. First John chapter 3, see what kind of love, I like the King James, behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that the world did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has yet, has yet to be appeared. But we know this, when he appears, we'll be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. Man, what a wonder that we could be called the children of God. That we could be a son. That we could have a sure and certain relationship with our father. That we could have access to him at any time. I can't imagine that. For us, access to God. That we could have this bright and glorious future. That we could be a son and heir. And listen, the worst thing that I can imagine in having a father is not a father who disciplines. Right? Many of you that are grown, some of you, your, your dad's even passed on. The worst thing that you can imagine is not having a father who disciplines. The worst thing to imagine is having a father who brings you into the world and then cares nothing for you. That's what's sad, right? That's, that, so many, of you, many of you may have had that father, and I'm sorry, and it's still painful. I bet it's still painful in your life to this day to have had a father... That, that did not discipline, that, that did not engage in your life, that did not put hard things in, in your life to bring you to himself and to make you into the person that God has, 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 has called you to be. Let me tell you, God is not that kind of father, okay? God is the uber father, all right? God is gonna be deeply, daily, moment by moment, situation by situation involved in your life. He's not gonna let you live in sin, okay? He's not gonna, Right? He's not going to let you behave that way. He's not going to let you stew in your anger. He's not going to let you hold on to your grudge. He's not going to let you live in immorality. That's a good dad. And he's, he's going he's to pull you out of that. Matthew 7, verse 9. 
Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who's in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Dads, if we get it right half the time, how much more is God going to get it right all the time? Many of you have had earthly dads, and I hear you talking about them. I, man, I can look around the room here, and I can hear you talking about your dad. And you know, you know the kind of things you say? The kind of things you say about your dad is this. Man, my dad, he was good. He, he would not let me get away with anything. My dad, he, he tanned my hide when I, when I misbehaved. My dad, he, he, and if I brought home a D, man, he was on me. I mean, there was, there was no happiness in the world until I got that up. I tell you, my, my dad would not let me speak crossly to my mother. My, I tell you, my dad taught me respect. I tell you, that's the way you guys talk, many of you, about your dads. All right? Now look at verse 11. I'm sorry, not verse 11, verse 9. Besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. That's what you're doing, isn't it? We respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good. Shouldn't we submit to God's discipline? If we look back to those few years that our earthly dad paddled us and brought some hard things in our life so as that we would be better, how much more should we respect and honor a heavenly father who is perfectly if we'll respond, who's perfectly shaping us for a glorious eternity. Folks, God's going to discipline his sons. God's going to discipline his sons. God can't not care about the important things of life. So the question is, how are we going to respond? How are we going to respond? Well, hopefully we will accept God's discipline. Hopefully we will submit to God's discipline. Hopefully we will remember that we won't forget. That's what the first thing it tells us in verse 9. Have you forgotten? Hopefully we won't forget how God works, how he worked in Abraham, how he worked in Noah, how he worked in Moses, how he worked in Joshua and Jacob and Israel. Sometimes we do that, don't we? You know? I mean, we just completely forget. Even in the smallest things, you know? We hit three red lights and, man, we're cursing and knifing the, the, the dashboard, you know? Ah, God hates me, you know? We've forgotten completely, you know? Hopefully we'll, we'll remember. We'll remember, listen, God is working. I can trust him. And hopefully we won't get bitter or angry or demand that God stop. It's okay to ask why. It really is. But, but not when we demand things of God. Not when we say, God... Tell me why now. Tell me why this particular painful thing. Tell me why me. Tell me why it lasts so long. Tell me why the hard times come so frequently. And if you don't answer me, God, I'm quitting. I'm going to stop running the race. Man, that's, that's what Hebrews says. Don't do. Don't grow weary. Trust that God is disciplining you for our holiness. Now listen, we got to get this right. Okay, let's, let's remember our theology. How is a person made righteous? By faith, okay? Jesus Christ came to rescue us. He lived a perfect, righteous life that you and I couldn't live. And then he, he submitted to the will of his Father. 
And he had a really painful thing pressed on him. All your sin, all your guilt, all your filth, all your iniquity put on Jesus. And he paid the price for it on the cross. And he rose again victorious. God being pleased with him. And now when you put your faith in him, when you repent of your sins, you say, I'm done living my way. I'm done living for me. And I'm surrendering it all to Jesus. I'm putting my faith in him that he's everything that I need. He's my treasure. When you do that, God's righteousness, Christians, right, flows into my account. So my salvation is all of Jesus. It's all of God. Okay, but God's a good father. So he's not leaving you. He's not leaving you in your sin. No, no, no. He wants the best for you. So he's going to practically, he's going to practically begin to work sin out of your life and holiness into your life. How does he do that? He does that through the word of God. He does it through conviction. He does it through preaching, through teaching, through the people of God, through, through spiritual friendships, through small groups, through pain. Sometimes through pain, right? Sometimes through hardship. Sometimes through struggle. My family gets mad and they leave. Gosh. Haddon's playing in the 1215 service. He's playing the bass, so. I think, I guess. No, they don't. All right, so, so the key, the key is this. I, I really think this is it right here. Do I value the holiness of God, the blessing of God, God shaping? Do I value that more than I do a pain-free, easy, comfortable life? That, that's really, that's our temptation, isn't it? Our temptation is to say, God, all I want is just, I want everything to be easy. By the way, that's what your kids want. You know what your kids want? They want a nice cushy chair in front of a huge plasma screen. And they want all the uh, snacks laid out around them. And they want all the video games and all the movies. And they want to do whatever they want. And whenever they holler, Mom! They want you to run in there. What can I do? What can I do, son? You know? Go clean my room, Mom. I'm not good at it. You're really good at it. Okay, son, I will. I'll go clean, you know? That's what they want. That's what they want from you. Please don't give that to them, by the way. You know why? Because you know this. There's better things, right? I spoke at Addie's graduation on Friday night, and, and one of the things I exhorted the graduates with was, don't, don't settle for the small pleasures of life. There's better things. There's better things. Being a person who, who loves God, being a person who works hard, being a person who's responsible, being a person who... Who, who blesses others, who invests in others, who makes a difference. That's what you want for your kids. And so why, why won't we believe God? I'd rather have that. All right, here's a, here's a practical thing, verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Okay, a couple things there. First of all, just, just realizing there's gonna be painful times. That doesn't mean God doesn't love us. okay. But second of all, and this is a practical thing for us as a church, but I really want you to, to hear it. Okay, it's okay to be sad. It's okay to be overwhelmed. It's okay to, in the moment to be experiencing pain. Okay, what we are learning here today does not give us the right to take people's pain away. Okay, you understand what I'm saying? I do not want you to go into the hospital when someone's had a tragic loss and come in with your little party hat and your twirler and say, it's okay, God's doing great things. Okay? 
Don't do that. Why? Verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. That's, that's just the reality, okay? And we need to be in that with people. Romans 12, 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and what? Weep with those who weep. Man, Job's friends, they nailed it until they opened their mouth. If they'd just been quiet, they'd be heroes. Job 2, 11. When Job's three friends heard of all the evil that had come upon him, they came, each of him, to his own pla- from his own place. Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, Zophar the Namathite. And they made an appointment together to come and show him sympathy and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. And they raised their voices and wept. And they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights. And no one spoke a word to him. For they saw that his suffering was very great. No discipline for the moment. For the moment, all discipline seems painful and not pleasant. You get that with your kids, don't you? Don't you? I hope you do. How many of you took your little four-year-old and you're whooping him and you're just laughing? Ha! It's going to do so much good in your life. That's cruel, isn't it? It's kind of mean. It hurts. It hurts. Dads, it hurts to discipline your kids even. You're sad while you're doing it. And I, I, think, I think we need to recognize that. When people are in pain, we we need to recognize that. Because it's not until, look at verse 11. It's a key word here. Verse 11, later. You see that? For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later. Later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Chemotherapy is not pleasant when it's being administered, it's painful. Suffering. But it kills. It kills the bad stuff. So that we might live. God's discipline is painful. But it's killing the bad stuff. And we, we got to learn to recognize the goodness of it. And what God is doing. Let me finish with a couple examples. We could do a bunch. We could do the red... The children of Israel, we could do Job, but I, I want to pick, I pick two here. 2 Corinthians 12, this is Paul. So, verse 7. To keep me from being too elated by the surpassing greatness of the revelations. Notice that Paul already sees God's hand. He's looking back on it. He's looking. That, that's when you got you to gotta understand when you look back, right? A thorn was given me in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to harass me. To keep me from being too elated. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Do you notice what happened in Paul's life? It's what verse 11 says. He's trained. He's being trained by God's discipline. You see, when it's happening, what's, it, what's he doing? It's hurting him. It's painful. He's crying out, God, take it away. Take it away. Take it away. But then he, he doesn't forget. He looks in the scriptures. God speaks to him. My grace is sufficient for you, Paul. 
I'm, I'm going to take care of you. I'm doing good things. In, my, in your weakness, that's when you're strongest. Paul sees, man, God's, God's rooting the pride out of my life. He's helped me depend on God. And now he says, now in my insults, in my persecution, he's been trained by it. Now, God, I'm, I'm trusting you in all those things. One more. How about Joseph? Joseph, persecuted by his own brothers, betrayed by his own family. I tell you what, it stings when your family gets you, doesn't it? That stings. That hurts. Joseph's own brothers sell him into slavery, tell his mom and dad he's dead. And man, for, what is it, 17 years? Seven, that's as long as I've been at Lincoln Avenue. He is in service, he's a servant, or he's in prison. It just goes from worse to worser. But all that time, has God forgotten about him? No. God is shaping him. God is positioning him. God is moving him right to the right place. And then boom, God exalts him to the prime minister of Egypt. And he saves his family. And Genesis 50, notice, notice the process here. Notice how he, how he sees life. He says, as for you, he's talking to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Joseph says, man, I, I see God's hand in my life. Let's see God's hand. Let's pray. God, I, I just thank you for your goodness. God, for your, your faithfulness, Lord, that you can be trusted. God, we want to hold tightly to your character. We want to hold tightly to, God, the, the, the reality that you can be trusted, that you will not let us down, that you act for our good, for our benefit, that in all things painful, pleasant, difficult, Lord, that you're working, that you're shaping that you're a good father. And Lord, we pray that we might respond rightly to your discipline today. God, give us faith to continue to run even when we're being disciplined. Father, give us strength for that. Be with these folks here today. God, I know some of them are just going through brutal times. And God, I just pray that you would would impress upon them how much you love them. God, how much you care for them. God, that you're doing good, that you're gonna bring them to glory. You're gonna bring them to blessing. God, I pray that give them strength to hold on. In Jesus' name, amen.